Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, November 1st, as the Hokies just got a huge bounce-back victory down in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. They are now back to 500 on the season. On episode 204 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we'll talk about the game, go through the Hokies' offense looking good for the second week in a row, including Trey Turner's huge performance, especially in the first half, and look at where the Hokies go from here with a short week coming up against Boston College. All of that and much more coming up on episode 204 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you into episode 204 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. However you are taking it in, live or archived, if you are listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, we welcome you in. If you are on YouTube, we ask you to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you are live in the YouTube, drop a question or comment for Will and David, and we'll get to those with Nick at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to one of the best and fastest growing wrestling programs in the country. Go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. We have a, a different crew on set again. It seems like we're rotating guys every single week now. No Chris Coleman today. He was down in Atlanta uh, for two Braves games in the World Series. Got to see two wins this weekend. They didn't finish it off last night, but he is not on set today. We've still got Will Stewart across the way, founder and general manager. To my left, managing editor of Tech Sideline, David Cunningham, filling some big shoes today in Chris Coleman's I'm, chair. I'm in his chair. Like, I'm, <laughs> I've got a lot of a lot of stuff to fill. Yeah, a lot of analysis going to be coming from David today. Uh, we, we're thinking it's the first time Chris hasn't been on the podcast in almost two years uh, since yeah. a, a wrestling preview yeah. uh, when Tony Roby was on. So going to be interesting without Chris today. In the fourth chair, it's going to be Nick Brown, as always, on Mondays. He will have his segment in the middle with some good stats, maybe some trivia, and we've got some YouTube questions at the end. As always, behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, and I'm your host, Jake Lyman. This is episode 204 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Before getting to football, how was your weekend, guys? It was good. Well, I was with you. We went to we were we went to Martinsville yesterday for the NASCAR race. Um, it was Jake's first race. It was. I, I, you said you enjoyed it. Right? I did. It was fun. Um, I got to try some of the legendary Martinsville hot dogs. Uh, they, I thought they lived up to the hype for two dollars, especially. Yeah, uh, wow. it was good. Nice. Um, I did not have one, but it was fun. We had a we had a really good time. There were nine of us that went in our friend wow. group. Um, we had a really fun time. So Denny Hamlin, unfortunately, my driver, and I think who Jake picked up, or he, I, he I at least have, had. I may have put five dollars on Denny Hamlin. So <laughs> and Alex Denny Bowman Ham- was not my favorite person. Yeah, yesterday. Denny Hamlin got spun out by Alex Bowman with seven laps to go yesterday. I think I saw that. Didn't he come over and just like nudge him in the tail? Or yeah, he like he hit his like left rear and sent Denny into the wall, <laughs> and uh, and then after the race, 
Bowman was going to, he was trying to do a burnout <laughs> and Denny like ran his car into him. Like Man. they, they were just like, they were doing this. Like it, it was really entertaining race, but it was a good time. Yeah. There were, there were two cars that got spun out in the last 30 laps, Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin. Those may or may not have been the two cars that I bet on. So, uh, <laughs> so um, <laughs> who, who went to cover the Georgia tech game for 3304 sports? Uh, that was uh, Gio Giovanni heater who was on the podcast a few weeks ago. And then Tyler Katz and Carter Hill. So we sent three down there. Now did any of them go to Martinsville on Sunday? They did not. Okay. I think I would have been down in Atlanta if I wasn't going to Martinsville the next day. But yeah. um, and I covered the game from my couch. So, yes. <laughs> so David, you don't have to be Chris. You just got to be like you go to all the press conferences. Yeah. So that's the perspective I'm expecting you to bring. Yeah. I actually didn't get a chance to watch um, like any of the post game press conferences. Yeah. I, I it was read, pretty good. I, I can't remember who I was reading, but they said that Fuente got emotional in his comments. Um, his opening comments. Yeah, I mean, he he got pretty. I mean, he got pretty emotional. I think a lot of it was just, I'm so proud of this team. Mm-hmm. And and I, when I, one of the things I related it to, um, or I that first thing that came to mind was Manny Diaz's comments uh, last week when they when when Miami finally got over the hump and beat NC State. He was really emotional talking to the, the ESPN reporter after the game. Just mm-hmm. I'm so proud of these guys because they work so hard and. You know, they put so much, you know, blood, sweat, tears in, into it. And that was kind of the the vibes Fuente was giving off. But I, it wasn't crazy emotional, but he, you could tell. Well, he, he didn't break down a No, but you could tell. Like, I mean, the first thing he said was, I'm so proud. I'm really proud of this group. And, and to be fair, he should be. I mean, they fought really, really hard. And they were, you know, so close for three games in a row. And I don't want to say finally got over the hump, but finally turned, righted the ship a little bit. Well, things went their way. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. 23 to 17. Georgia Tech is it's early fourth quarter, about yeah. 11 minutes to go. Georgia Tech is at the Virginia Tech 12-yard line with a fourth and two. And the Hokies stop them. And I looked it up, Tech had given up 9 of the last 10 fourth downs. And they get that stop. We're all having that deja vu feeling and then they get that stop. And then Virginia Tech controlled the ball out of the last 11 minutes they, of the game. They had game. a seven-minute drive Tech right after that. for 10 minutes. Well, and they also get the ball back up 26 to 17, nine points with about four minutes left. That was almost the Deja exact vu. same scenario as Syracuse the week yeah. before where Tech wasn't able to hold on. I think it's a big moment for this team that with games like Notre Dame and Syracuse where you give those leads up late, they finally were able to hold on. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And the fact that they – Teams this year on fourth downs against Virginia Tech, 13 <laughs> for 16. That's all teams. You know, there's the power five statistic is even even worse. But the fact that when the, the defense needed a stop on fourth down, they came up and got it. I mean, that is so impressive considering that, again, their backs are against the wall and they made the play they had to make. And I liked your analysis of it in, in your, your story this morning, you know, because – it was Dax Hollyfield and Narell Pollard, two two captains, two leadership council guys that came up and, and made the big play. Guys just making plays. Uh, yeah, so to clarify, at that moment, opponents were 13 of 16 on fourth yeah. down. Georgia Tech didn't get that one, and then, of course, at the end of the game. Yeah. It's funny because I was looking at the live stats, and, and it's a weird situation where the stats are not archived yet on Hokie Sports. No, and I believe that's a problem. Georgia Tech's Georgia Tech had a, a problem with their stats. Yeah, they've got on, they've got ongoing issues. And if you look in the live stats, um, I was looking at the drive chart, and it said that Georgia Town Georgia Tech lost uh, the ball on downs, the one we were just talking about, and then in the game they lost it on downs. 
They didn't lose it on downs. They threw an interception. But in the yeah. live stats, it says that they lost it on downs. So it says Georgia Tech is one of three on fourth down, and I don't think that's accurate. I think they were one of two. So. I, that still doesn't count as a uh, – it still would count at, towards the fourth down stats even if you threw a pick on it, correct? Correct. My, my, my mistake. Yes, you're right. So it still one should be three. one of three, but it wasn't a turnover no. on downs, I guess would be the, the way yeah. to yeah. – yeah. Well, Armani Chapman gets the big pick, and I when I looked through that last three drive sequence, I think the big thing was defense finally stood up when you're up by nine. You get right. a stop. Don't let them go right down the field and score a touchdown. And then the offense gets the ball back, and against Notre Dame and Syracuse, the issue was they went three and out and punted it right back. Right. Offense got the first downs they needed to be able to run out the clock after that, which was huge. Seven-minute drive, and I one of the plays – that was brought up today in the press conference because we got to talk to Dustin Fuente and players today because it's a short week. Um, I believe it was David Teal as Parker Clements. Um, you know, I had, I had asked a couple questions about running the ball, and and, and David Teal asked a question about um, you know that the the one there was one play I think it was third and one or third and two, and they they hand it off to Malachi Thomas, and he just punches it and he gets about four three four yards got the first down tech doesn't get the tech stalls but because they were able to you know get that short gain in that situation you continue to drive you go on a seven minute drive and you know it ends in what a field goal but or yes that was put romo's fourth field goal of the day which another impressive yeah. performance but i mean the fact that tech was able to sustain a drive at the very end of the game, it's not something they were able to do all season so far. Yeah, so uh, it, it, there's 11 minutes left to go. It's 23-17, and then you eat up seven minutes, and you make it a two-score game, and Georgia Tech feels the pressure coming out, and they chuck the interception. Well, this was a huge win for Virginia Tech. It feels like they got the season back on track at least a little bit. You lose that one. You're 3-5, and 1-3 and three in the ACC, mm. and you've got to go 3-1 and one down the stretch to become bowl eligible. Now it seems like a, a much more manageable path to get those two wins necessary to get to six. Yeah, when well, you're playing, now you go on the road to a Boston College team, which um, I'm sure as Chris will point out this week, Boston College can't really score the ball. You know, they, they, they have not scored well over the past three weeks at least. And then you've got a poor Duke team at home. The Miami and Virginia games are going to be tough, but as I was just talking with Chris in there, Brennan Armstrong's hurt. Right. Like, Brennan and, Armstrong might be out for the season. so right. And Virginia just gave up 66 points to BYU. <laughs> so there is potential. And 700 and some yards. I think it was over 700 yeah. yards. Well, the, the score at halftime of that game was 42 to 38. <laughs> that was yeah. at an halftime. insanely entertaining game. <laughs> yeah. But but there, there are plenty of opportunities to get wins down the stretch. Yeah, so I looked it up. And, and yeah, Boston College lost Phil Dracovic a month ago or whatever to a, to a hand injury. I don't know if they've specified what it is. But in their last four games, they've lost all. They start off four and zero. They've lost four in a row. They've only scored forty points in those four games, and the last three games they've been held under three hundred yards. So you know this is looking ahead, and we'll get to this on Wednesday. But uh, the only thing that really makes me skittish about that game is it's a it's a road game coming off a road game on a short on a week, short week in a place where. Tech historically doesn't play very well. Yeah, Friday night on the road against Boston College, the Hokies' next test. Something that has to make fans feel a little more optimistic. The offense looked good for the second straight week. You wrote in your uh, Monday Thoughts article yeah. today about the offense, 491 yards. Yeah. Uh, that's the third most for the Hokies' offense since 2018. So uh, a really good performance coming off another good one against Syracuse, maybe trending in the right direction there. 
Yeah, they just and they just looked better doing it. You know, uh, they they looked tough on the line of scrimmage. I thought offensively, um, receivers running wide open. Burmeister's passes were were not super accurate. You know, he under he underthrew a couple of guys that fortunately were super were, like I said super <laughs> wide open. Uh, Six point one yards yards per play. So that that's a couple of weeks in a row where they're over four hundred yards. And yeah, just it, it it looks like they've turned the corner. Am I saying they're a dominant offense? No, but they're finding some stuff that works and and they are looking like either the equivalent or greater than the sum of their parts. And that's what you want out of your football team is you want them to look like they're playing up to or beyond what they're typically capable of. And we just haven't felt that way so far this year. Yeah, and I think this was the best you, – you can disagree, but I think this was the best all-around performance across the board, offense, defense, special teams this season <clears throat> for Virginia Tech. I mean, first six games, defense played well enough to win. The offense was kind of nowhere to be found or hit or miss at times. Syracuse game, defense was really bad. The offense was good. And then this week, it was finally like Virginia Tech was putting everything together. And I think when you have the running game playing well, Burmeister had his best game of the season. So I think Virginia Tech starting to put the pieces together. I mean, it is in game eight. So that, that's maybe a little later than you would have liked, but the fact that you can run the ball and then you can throw play action passes, and, and to your point, you know, Burmeister's passes weren't necessarily really accurate. I mean, he had the one 69-yard touchdown pass to Trey Turner that was like a yard or two behind him, and luckily Trey Turner had like 10 yards of open space. But and how about Trey looking physical? You know, we, we've talked about how he is not a physical player, but he, he looked physical. He broke not just tackles on that play, but uh, later on. Yeah. Well, we talked about without James Mitchell, the Hokies offense needed a playmaker. And yeah. Trey Turner looked like one on Saturday. Even the one he didn't get in the back of the end zone, he went yes. way up for that ball. And he almost did about as well in. as you can do. I, I mean, it looked like he was the true number one wide receiver that the Hokies have been waiting for yeah. when – James Mitchell left. You really didn't have that guy. I mean, that 69-yard touchdown, it was an underthrown ball, but a great route, and then he made a few guys miss to get into the end zone. Yeah, and I think a lot of it goes back to the running game because when you can establish the run, Malachi Thomas had over 100 yards for the second straight week. He's the first true freshman to go back-to-back for over 100 since 2001, and Raheem Blackshear had 80-something yards himself. So when you can run the ball effectively and efficiently, that forces defenses to bring more guys into the box, less guys on the back end. And then when you can finally get, you know, not every single pass was very accurate, but when you can finally spray the ball out wide, get it to a playmaker like Trey Turner, and he can make a couple guys miss, go for a 69-yard touchdown run, it opens up so many more things. And I think Tech was just balanced this weekend, and that's not something we've seen all season. So that's the first time a true freshman has gone over 100 yards rushing in two straight games? Yeah, I believe that's what Virginia Tech football tweeted earlier today. Hey, YouTube, you know who that is, right? 2001. So, Nick, let me know when the first person chimes in. I got you. I got you. I believe it's the person you were comparing him to, correct? No. No. Okay. No, Suggs was a true true freshman? I think Suggs was recruited in 1988, so he was a true freshman in – Fall of '88, red shirt in '99. So he he was Wait, yeah. 2001 was a season where Suggs hurt himself, like in the first game of the year or something like that. And speaking of, of speaking of Suggs, so Brees Hall, the running back for Iowa State, mm-hmm. just reached 20 consecutive games with a rushing touchdown. So Fox Sports threw up a Twitter graphic 
and said the most consecutive games with a rushing touchdown in a game. And Lee Suggs, number two at 20, wow. uh, 22, 22 games. Yeah. Bill Burnett, wow. who played at Arkansas in the 1960s, late 1960s, had 23. But, uh, yeah, Lee Suggs only above Monty Ball and Derrick Henry. Wow. He had something three, like four. like 53 rushing touchdowns in his career or something like that. I mean, that, that toss sweep down at the goal line, <laughs> forget about it. Oh, yeah. And how about Trey Turner, ACC Wide Receiver of the Week honors? Yes. Yep. Seven I mean, catches, 187 yards, and a touchdown. When you have – when you can finally <laughs> – I mean, I'm going to preach this all week. When your offense is balanced and you can run the football, but you also have – I mean, it wasn't the best day for Burmeister, but it was the best day of the season for him. And when you can finally – when you finally have that weight lifted off your shoulders where you don't have to run the ball, you know, you don't have to worry about throwing the ball every single play because you don't have a running game. When you finally have a running game, it opens up so many more things. Man, and Burmeister made some – Excellent plays on the scramble. You know, he did. St- stuff that Fuente was telling us at the beginning of the year, he's really fast, you know, and you, you got to see that. Well, and things, especially in the first half, seemed very schemed up very well. Yeah. That touchdown pass to Trey Turner, it was the pump fake on the screen. Trey Turner kind of chopped his feet like he was getting ready to block and then releases up the sideline, and there was nobody there. Yeah. The offense just seemed to be more efficient, and maybe that has something to do with like we talked about last week, Justin Fuente spending more time with the first-team offense. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that does seem to be the theme for the last couple of weeks. you know. And We'll just leave it at that for the time being. Well, at the very least, the defense, it didn't look like Fuente leaving the scout team defense this week uh, had as much of an effect. The defense looked better as well. Yeah, and the, I think one of the things is the defense finally got pressure. We saw it a little bit last week, but, I mean – Man, Garrett Schrader stood in there and took some hits last week. But the defense, Georgia Tech's more of a run-heavy offense, and Tech loaded the box. And unlike the Syracuse game where the Orange had two over 100-yard rushers, Georgia Tech did not. I believe they only had one in um, – was it Sims or was it the running back? Sims. Uh, Gibbs It was had, Gibbs. It was Gibbs. Yeah, yeah Gibbs had a long run. Yeah. Sims was close Gibbs to 100. Had, yeah, so, I mean, but but I think Virginia Tech was, was better defensively because – Unlike Syracuse, where the few times the corners were on islands, they kind of gave up plays late. The corners played really well. The safeties were pretty good. The linebackers, Alan Tisdale, man, he had a, he had his best PFF grade of his entire career by right? a long shot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was it just seemed like the pieces finally came together, and Tech got stops when it needed to, and it, it played off of the offense scoring points. And we've seen so many times earlier this season where. You know, the offense would score and then the defense would give up a touchdown right after that. Or, you know, the defense would get a stop and the offense stalls immediately. And this time it was offense scores, defense gets a stop. Offense gets the balls ba- ball back and eats time off the clock. And it, it just, you know, it wasn't the prettiest game, but it worked and it, and it got the job done. Well, and last week we were talking about the final five games of this season. All of them... With the exception of maybe Duke, where you feel like Tech should have a pretty large advantage in that game, feel like toss-up games. Right. Uh, and if the Hokies are able to play the way they did on Saturday with the offense doing enough, maybe do need to get a little better in the red zone, and the defense playing the way they usually do, this could be a team that makes a run towards the end of the season. Yeah, right. So the red zone was about the only thing they didn't do well on uh, no. on Saturday. They had three trips inside the 10 and came away with one touchdown. And then they had an additional trip inside the 20 and got a field goal. So that's only one out of four trips in the red zone that they, that they got a touchdown. 
So do you want to drill down in the defense a little bit? Because if you really look at the numbers, it's it, – and, and I, the, the way I phrased this in my article today was that I felt like the numbers were better than actually watching the defense yeah, play. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is a couple things. Number one, Georgia Tech did average 6.1 yards a rush. Um, they had, uh, let me see their total yardage. Total yards was 366 yards, which I think is the only team that's held them to fewer is Clemson. And Clemson's got a great defense. Yep. Other than that, Georgia Tech's gotten more than 366 yards in every game this year. But the key was Virginia Tech controlled the football. They ran, uh, they ran 78 plays, and Georgia Tech ran 56. Um, that's the fewest plays Georgia Tech has run all year. Um, I think actually that's the fewest plays a Virginia Tech opponent has run all year. They held WVU and I think Richmond to 59 plays. And I think I wrote in my article that Georgia Tech had 54 plays, but no, it's 56. But, that, um, but that's still the lowest of the season. Yes. Yep. Time of possession was only 24 minutes for Georgia Tech. Um, so they did average six and a half yards a play. What, what made it come out better statistically was uh, they had a couple plays called back, but people argued with me, well, those plays wouldn't have gone that long if they didn't commit the penalties. <laughs> okay, that's a solid point, you know. Uh, but they, Georgia Tech was only 3 of 12 on third down, and that, that helps the, the statistics look better. And when you're running 78 plays and you've got the ball almost 36 minutes, and they're running 56 plays and they've got the ball 24 minutes, it gets back into that thing with the offense doing better. It helps out the defense. Yeah, and I think a lot of it goes to that third down because Virginia Tech has been pretty good defensively on third downs all this this season. 18th, but it was the fourth. What? 18th in the country. Yeah. 18th, in the, 18th country. in the country. What's what's the percentage? 33%. Last hmm. season they were only 36. Okay, all so right. but on fourth down, like we've talked about, Virginia Tech's <sighs> poor on fourth down. But when you can finally get stops on fourth down and you can get off the field, it really helps. And – my one gripe with my one other gripe with the offense, while we're still on the topic, would be they did not convert good field position. They had two drives, one that started in Georgia Tech territory and one that started on the forty-five, and they came in with three points. They missed that was one of the missed field goals. But, yeah. um, but besides that, you get into the red zone. That's the only reason you didn't convert. But I mean, again, the defense when the defense needed to come up and make plays, it did. And I think a lot of back a lot of that has to do with the linebackers playing better. Against Syracuse, the linebackers, I, I think they had the two worst PFF grades on, on the entire defense maybe, and the linebackers on, on Saturday against Georgia Tech were, were solid, and I think that was the missing piece. Well, Tisdale led the team in tackles with 12, I want to say, and he had two and a half tackles for loss, which right. was that was something we said against Syracuse on the podcast was the reason Tech's defense struggled, they just could not get that minus play for Syracuse's right. offense. I believe yeah. there was three tackles for loss against Syracuse they doubled that with six uh, against Georgia Tech yeah when you can get in the backfield when you when you're not just getting pressure but when you can um, physically get in the backfield especially against a team that runs the ball so much it, it helps you so much because instead of it being a second and six or a second and eight it's a second and 11 and and even you know the minus one, I mean, it doesn't seem like it would make that much of a difference, but it really does because then Georgia Tech's playing from behind the chains. And um, I, I think that was one of the things that Tech did not do well last week against Syracuse. They couldn't get in the backfield, and I guess that's a credit to Syracuse's offensive line because they, they really blocked well. And 
held it up, you know, and they did get a couple of hits on Garrett Schrader, but Virginia Tech finally got into the backfield on Saturday and showed because, I mean, like you said, what, six tackles for loss. Six I mean, tackles that for is, loss. That is huge. It makes such a, an impact on the game. Yeah, and that's a career high in TFLs for uh, Tisdale, by the way. It is not a career high in tackles. He he had uh, 14. 14 and a half. And I think I think I said that was all the way back to the very first game he ever played was against Boston College in 2019. Which would make sense because that was his highest PFF grade of his career. No, that was his highest PFF grade. You're right. The 14 and a half tackles came against Kentucky. Oh, at yes, the you end did of that belt bowl. Forgive me, I was up late last night <laughs> running a million numbers, and I get them a little mixed up. Well, one of the nuggets that we had on Wednesday's show was that it was a homecoming for Jalen Griffin, two of his brothers playing for Georgia Tech. He came up with possibly the biggest game, play of the game. He had a heck of a game. Strip sack. I mean, there's nothing more you can ask for that. Um, we actually talked to him after the game, and um, I think he said he had like – Maybe like sixty people. Wow. Sixty sixty wow. fam friend fam well, you know, fans and friends and family. Fr- yeah, friends yeah. and family. That's what I'm family. Um, <laughs> and you know, and two other it, his two brothers play for Georgia Tech, so is they were calling it the Griffin Bowl. Um, but I mean he came up with a huge play and and again, yes, he had a little bit of a bonehead play later. He got called for a personal foul. Yeah. But so clarify for that for me. What happened? Because all, all I saw was the picture that uh, Ivan Morozov took of, of Fuente chewing out Griffin be- on the side. I believe it was a late hit. Was of, that on the fourth down on that drive? I think it, right it might have been on third down, and it was a late hit out of bounds. And the guy, I think he had like just stepped out of bounds and – Gave him a little shove. Or no, it was a rough in the passer. That's what it was. Yes. It it, it was It was si- on that last drive right before the Chapman pick. Yeah, it was very it was it was a very silly play. I mean yeah. he the quarterback Sims rolls out and throws it and like two, three seconds after the play, Griffin just shoves him in, to the ground. And and but Fuente actually brought that up today, you know, because coming into the game, Tech was the least penalized team in the country, and he, we got a couple of questions in there to Fuente and to some of the players about it today. And um, he actually brought up the the Jalen Griffin thing, and he said, you know, I always one of the things you have to do, especially when it comes to penalties, is you can't dwell on it. You can't say, you know, you can't let it get in your head and go, okay, well, I just cost my team fifteen yards. And he said, you know, he brought Jalen Griffin over to the sideline and. You know, he wasn't mad at him. He's just like, look, and it happened. I understand it happened. It's a bad play, but you're not going to do that again. Just don't do it again. You know, just go, go be better the next play. And and I I, I think that was after Jalen Griffin's strip sack. I, maybe it, well, I it, believe it was after. Yeah. But but I mean, still, you know, Jalen Griffin went back out there and played better. And um, you know, he had a I mean, he had a heck of a game. That that was a huge play. Did that? I don't remember. Did that lead to a, a Tech scoring? Led to a field goal. A field, field goal. goal. Yeah. That was the one in the. Uh, Georgia Tech territory, the one starting drive. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. but I mean, still, that's that's an impressive play. So, to clarify, the picture I saw wasn't Fuente chewing Griffin out. It was Fuente being emphatic that he needed to get over his dumb penalty. I mean, I'm sure he chewed him out, <laughs> chewed him out a little bit. But Fuente's interpretation was, you know, I got on him a little bit, but then I was like, look, okay. next play, so next it was play. Both. It was, it, I mean, it was a bit of both. But like, like all coaches, all all good coaches do, they, you know. They make sure their players understand, you know, that, yes, what they did was wrong, but you're better than that. So so it's interesting when you tweet this stuff out about how Virginia Tech commits basically the fewest penalties in the country. They're they're very good at it. There are people that, of course, spin that into a negative. 
they're like, oh, there's so much emphasis on not committing penalties that the kids play tight and, and are afraid of making a mistake. And it's like, ah. Well, we've talked about it. We talked about it a lot early in the season about how the Hokies weren't penalized very often and they don't turn the ball over. That trend is continued throughout the entire season. I don't, uh, but is yeah. it a positive? Which yeah. it, you would think <laughs> on surface level it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. But is it a negative that maybe they teach them not to be aggressive and that can lead to less turnovers and less penalties, yeah, but maybe less that. big plays. I don't know. I would, I would say it's a positive. And I was going to read a quote from Quente today. He <laughs> said, right, go ahead. He said, quote, I think young people at times have trouble moving on. That's what he said about the situation. He mentioned Jalen Griffin. I think that's really important. And it's funny because he, we were asking him, I think people asked him about injuries and asked him about, uh, asked him about injuries, asked him about, not turning the ball over and asking about penalties then he was like you guys are just gonna jinx us for the rest of the season <laughs> because we haven't you know we've been fairly injury free for the most part and we haven't turned the ball over and we haven't really been penalized and that's where all the questions today but interesting um so regarding penalties um I, I would have to go back and look at it but I, I for some reason i did an exhaustive analysis shortly after fuente was hired about how many penalties his uh teams at memphis committed and i think i i think I, he at that point he'd been at tech for a year or two so i could do the comparison and you could see that the penalties had declined at virginia tech memphis committed a fair amount of penalties under fuente but that hasn't really followed him to virginia tech and any coach will tell you and and, and me as a person watching a game it's just it's the dead ball fouls and the false starts and the not getting lined up properly and things like that that drive coaches crazy. It's it's penal, it's it's the mental type penalties when you accidentally face mask somebody in the heat of trying to make a play, or you, and and I guess coaches are probably split on the late hits out of bounds and yeah. things like that. But like a know. pass interference penalty. Yeah, you know. Now I think holding is somewhere in between. Because typically when, when an offensive player or a defensive player is holding a player for the other team, they know it. It's not an accident. They're doing it on <laughs> They're just purpose. trying to get away with it. Right. So you? that's one that falls in between. But, <laughs> but the mental pre-snap and post-snap penalties are very different than, than playing aggressively and accidentally making a mistake. Well, I think now might be a good time to head over to Nick. We're going to touch on more from the Georgia Tech game and look ahead a little bit. But before we take our break, let's send it over to Nick Brown, our fourth chair. Yeah, I wanted to touch on some uh, Hokies in the NFL and the craziest stat, well, not really stat, but bet line on Khalil Herbert this week was 71 and a half yards. He finished the game with 72. Nice. That, that'll that make one a, people a better. <laughs> I wish, I, uh, wish I had bet on him this weekend. Who was it that had the backdoor cover? Was it Clemson? Clemson, Clemson. scored, yeah, man. On scored on the last Brutal. point of the game to to win by ten, and the spread was nine and a half, something yeah. like nine that. or nine, is somewhere in there. Yeah, uh, brutal uh, bad beat <laughs> yeah. for Florida State. I think Jake and I both had Florida State covering too. Oh yikes! <laughs> yeah, I don't like looking at my DraftKings account. <laughs> <laughs> Joey Sly also uh, was four or five field goals. And one and a half on extra points. They did beat the Bears and Khalil Herbert 33-22. But the Bears are just not very good at all. And also, I found out a really uh, interesting stat. I was reading through the uh, comments on one of the previous podcasts. Someone reported that no conference champion or college football playoff team in the last six years has had a revenue reported in the athletic department of less than $120 million. Will that change in the ACC this season? Pittsburgh, right? 
No, Wake, Wake Forest? Forest. <laughs> or Wake Forest. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Wake Forest now ranked in the top 10. Did, yeah, did you 10. see this stat? Uh, Kelly Gramlich, uh, who does ACC Network stuff, um, and she covers Clemson too. Uh, she played basketball at, at Clemson, and she tweeted a stat earlier that, that Wake Forest, you know, they're a private institution, and they only have like five, they have just over 5,000 total students enrolled, and apparently there were like 4,000 of them at the game on Saturday. Yeah, they had like yeah. 80% of their student population at the game. Yeah, that, that's that like Virginia Tech having 25,000 students <laughs> go to a game, um, which may have happened in the first week or two, you know, when they were kind of letting yeah. them in. It may or may not have happened. <laughs> um, so I had, I, had, I had a couple of questions coming out of that. Um, number one, you guys that follow the NFL, uh, I guess I guess the, the, the rookies are locked into a three-year contract with the team that they're with, right? Four-year. Four-year. So it's – Four-year contracts for every rookie, and then if you're a first-round pick, there's a fifth-year option tagged on at the end. He was a sixth-round pick, pretty yes. late. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So it's what's he making four or five hundred k a year? More than that, I would assume into seven figures. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Eh, it'd probably be like eight or nine. Eight, eight or nine hundred thousand, I would assume. Okay. Yeah, I would Not say bad. it's up there. Um, uh, and I believe Nick did Brian Brian Johnson have a game-winning field goal this weekend too. I think he had a game winner. Yeah, he had one on Monday. Monday versus the Seahawks. Oh, I know he had that. Seahawks, I just yeah, I know he I know he had <laughs> he made at least one on. Uh, no, they won thirty six twenty seven. No, wasn't close. But he may he may have had. So the Saints were up two. So I think he may have kicked the go ahead, go ahead and then okay. Tom Brady threw a pick six. Ah, yeah. so yeah, okay. but impressive. Um, so how do, how do you like Herbert's chances to be the starter next year or? Well, so David Montgomery is the Bears' usual starter, and he is hurt right now. Yeah, right. Um, I saw – I don't know how credible this is. I was on Twitter uh, being a Titans fan today, not a great day. Derrick Henry uh, <laughs> out for eight to ten weeks. Um, I was trying to see if we could get any good running backs uh, to the team, and Bears fans were saying they might want to trade Montgomery because Herbert's been so good. So uh, maybe possibly – Trade deadlines tomorrow could see a move that puts Herbert as the permanent Man, number one. That would be interesting. But I mean, I think there, I saw a stat heading into this upcoming weekend that Herbert was. Uh, there were only two running backs. I think one was Derrick Henry. I can't remember the other one. But Herbert was third in the NFL in total yards over the last over three weeks. Three weeks. Man, it was yes, uh, yes, Derrick Henry that. and Jonathan Taylor, yeah, both yeah. of which either Heisman winners or Heisman finalists uh, during their time in college. Man, so. if Khalil Herbert had gone to Alabama or something like that. <laughs> And then uh, also there's the Scott Glessner stat of the podcast. I like putting that out there. A regular feature. Uh, since the 95 Cincinnati game, Virginia Tech is 191-8 and eight when giving up 20 points or less. That's when I, I, I want to say there is a stat under Fuente that was mentioned by Tom Wormy on the broadcast that Virginia Tech has, has not lost when, when a Fuente team has given up less than 20 points. Huh. Somebody wow. might have to research that. I don't remember. Maybe it was. It was. It might have not been one hundred percent, but it was. It was a very favorable stat. Uh, that's so interesting. I'm not going to correct you and make you say fewer. <laughs> fewer than seventeen points. Yeah, or that, twenty. That, that's 20, one of my fewer things. than twenty. Yeah. yeah. I think we may need to make a graphic or something like the Scott Glessner stat of the day. <laughs> Just throw that up on screen. That that can be your next thing along with the red shirt lights. Well, Scott needs to get himself him. a sponsor and then he can yeah, yeah. <laughs> be a regular, regular part of the podcast. And then I wanted to name drop a little bit. I won't be here on the Boston College uh, pre-podcast, uh, no. but the starting kicker now for Boston College Went to Radford High School as a freshman this year, six of seven. Connor Litton, right. he's kicked two fifty yarders this season, wow. and uh, just wanted to 
show some love to the New River Valley and That's go awesome. rap for Bobcats. So. Yeah, he's a, Mike uh, Young and Connor Litton. He rap high school <laughs> likes right there. He's he's a pretty good kicker, and yeah. uh, I think the story is Tech didn't offer him a scholarship, and Boston College did. So. He was ranked fifth in the country kicker uh, as a kicker, and according yeah. to two four seven. Yeah, and Tech so didn't offer. so if he plays a role in beating Virginia Tech, you know, don't get mad. He he went where he was offered the money. Hey, John Parker Rowan had a pretty good weekend. He though. did. He did. He Four did. for five. Four I think five. I think he's made eight of You said eight he, of his He had last made nine? eight in a row before he missed the 53-yarder. Yeah. And you remember, he he only made one out of his first three. Yeah. So and he's, what, nine for his last ten? And short. Um, yeah. Something that's, like that. But that's, that's really impressive. And he hadn't, until he missed the 53-yarder, he hadn't missed over 40 yards all year long. Now, that's impressive. Well, I believe it was it the Notre Dame game. You made your pick and said <laughs> that the game was going to come down to so, possible um, kicking a field goal, and John Parker Romer couldn't do it. Yeah. It feels like the narrative has shifted. Now he's pre- he's been consistent. Yeah, yeah, if I would not. If I was a betting man right now, which I don't think I want to be anymore, <laughs> um, I, I, uh, if John, if it was up to John Parker Grumman to kick a game-winning field goal, I would feel very confident, which is exactly what I – I said the opposite heading into the Notre Dame game because he was – I think he had missed the two of them at, the, at West Virginia the previous yeah. – like two weeks before that or something like that. Yeah, so. he was looking shaky, but uh, that's over. Yeah. It's possible Virginia Tech becomes kicker university. We've got uh, – I mean – Sly Johnson and now John Parker Romo. Yeah. It's, uh, Somebody's going to pick up on that. JPR <laughs> goes to the pros and is kicking in the pros. One of Evan Hughes's favorite stats, and I have not looked this up, and I guess I need to. Um, I want to say he he always brings it up every single time a Virginia Tech kicker does something well in the NFL. I think Justin Fuente might have the most kickers in the NFL out of, out of any college coach because he's, he's got, got like, a Memphis kicker because he's there. got like one or two Memphis guys in there too. Yeah. So he's got at least three, maybe four kickers in the NFL. A lot of running backs, too, for Justin Fuente. Yeah. So, really, what you've got is James Shebus kickers in the NFL, They're, It's right? true. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. I'm trying, I, that make, just makes me think of all the Memphis running backs there in the NFL, too. You've got Daryl Henderson starting for the Rams. Kenneth Gainwell's with the Eagles. Antonio Gibson's with the Washington football team. <laughs> Tony Pollard's with the Cowboys. That's four... Memphis running backs. Like, <laughs> you just knew that off the top of your yeah, head? I don't know how he knew all that. but that Well, was... <laughs> I, I remember we talked about this on the podcast, and I know there was one we were missing. It was Tony Pollard with oh, the Cowboys. Yeah. So that's four starting caliber running backs who uh, I want to say Fuente probably recruited all of them. Yeah, and, and Herbert. No kidding. So there we go. It's uh, Justin Fuente, RBU, and KU. K- yeah, K- not, not KU. Kansas. <laughs> 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 Khalil Herbert, Kansas. We're done. We're gonna we're gonna take a break. Uh, that, Stream that, of consciousness. <laughs> we're just talking right now. Uh, we will come back. We're gonna talk a little bit more about Malachi Thomas having another big game. We'll talk about the defense a little bit more and look ahead as the Hokies have four games remaining on their schedule, trying to become bowl eligible. Stay with us here on episode 204 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're gonna take a break and be right back. We welcome you back on episode 204 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We are going through Virginia Tech's bounce-back win down in Atlanta on Saturday over Georgia Tech, getting them back to 500 on the season, as well as in the ACC. We've got our crew on set today, Will Stewart, David Cunningham, Nick Brown, Malcolm Stewart, and I'm Jake Lyman. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you drop a comment or question in the chat, and we'll get to those with Nick at the end of the show. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, we hope you enjoyed the... uh, 
the sky cam and uh, <laughs> during Will, the break, <laughs> Will got to walk up to it. You got to watch us watch Will go up to it as well. So uh, uh, fun little uh, break there. I hope people are enjoying the sky cam edition uh, over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I need to. Uh, I need to start doing more jokes with that. <laughs> to keep <laughs> and it has on. elevator music behind it, right? right. Yeah, we, we do need to change up the music. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. I think it's a Tech Sideline podcast staple. We should have Inner Sandman playing during it. But then again, copyright issues. Yeah, so, correct. We'll uh, get flagged. <laughs> well, we did glaze over Malachi Thomas with back-to-back 100-yard games, and people in the comments were chiming in that he was the first true freshman to do that since Kevin Jones back in 2001. But he's been great for two weeks now. It seems like the Hokies have finally found that uh, tandem with him and Blackshear that's going to get the most out of the backfield. Yeah, and I think I mean, Chris has harped on it so much, and I'm glad – He's not here because I know he'd harp on it more. But, even. Um, but so so early in the season, Virginia Tech had four running backs they were kind of giving the ball to, and now it's cut down to two, and it's Blackshear and Thomas. And I just saw a, a stat. I looked it up during the break. Um, Thomas, he's carried the ball 57 times this season, and he has negative three yards. He's only lost three total yards. Yeah, see, I think that's an underappreciated stat. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a year, I don't know it off the top of my head, but one of the years that uh, Lee Suggs was in his prime, he barely lost any yardage all year long. And that's an underappreciated stat when yeah. a guy can gain 12, 13, 1400 yards like he was doing and lose 15 yards in the process. That, right. tells, that tells you he's decisive. He, first of all, he's got good blocking. Second of all, he's hitting the hole fast, he's physical. He's falling forward. He's not getting knocked backwards, that kind of stuff. You did compare him to Lee Suggs. Yeah. Did. And he's running, he's running north to south, I think, would be the, the main thing there. He's not trying to get too fancy yeah. in the backfield. He's just getting yardage. Not trying to be David Wilson against, uh, <laughs> against Clemson. Uh, against uh, and one, one of the interesting things is, um, and one thing I don't even think he was asked about it. I think he just brought it up during the, during the press conference earlier today. Some He mentioned, you know, why Thomas didn't play early in the season. And he said it's because, you know, it took him a couple weeks to settle in and to understand everything. And he specifically meant, like, pass protection stuff. He's, uh, I think the phrasing he used was there's more to being a running back than just running the football. Yeah, right. and, and and a lot of that goes into pass protection. We asked Malachi Thomas about it, and he was like, you know, it's not necessarily just pass protection, but it's understanding the scheme, understanding where I'm supposed to be. Because if you throw a true freshman running back out there and he just completely whiffs on a block, you're – You've got a 250 to 300 pound guy running straight at your quarterback who you need to stay healthy. So, you know, but the fact that he's finally, um, I think, got the pass blocking aspect of it right has really, really helped. And he graded out really well pass blocking this weekend. Yeah. Well, that's so. So let's go over the stats. He had 25 carries for 103 yards, zero lost yards. That's uh, 4.1 a carry, and his longest carry was only 12 yards, and that was the one at the very end, wasn't oh, it? Yeah. Yes. So close. <clears throat> yeah, where he almost uh, – it was it was at the uh, Georgia Tech 35-yard line, and he, he tripped. Or he oh, would have, yeah. Or he would have had another 25 yards and, and a touchdown. And Blackshear had 14 carries for 83 yards. Again, no lost yards, so very nice. And that's 5.9 yards a carry. So it's, you know, it, it's one game, but it looks like it's made both guys better. Yeah. You mentioned the pass blocking grade from Alakai Thomas. That surprises me. Uh, he must have had a, a lot of better plays than the one I'm going to bring up. But there was one play where 
he turned to block somebody and they were already past him and were hitting Braxton Burmeister. It, yeah. I, I forget what it, it was probably an eight yard sack early in the third quarter, but he did not know where uh, that defender was coming from. Yeah. Well, those, those games, those grades at this point are preliminary and uh, uh, I'm just now starting to look at them and then look at them again later when they're finalized. They typically don't change a lot, but we'll see. I'm looking up. I know Chris put it in his article right now. I'll bring it up in a sec. All right. Well, there were two freshman running backs making plays in that game, Malachi Thomas for the Hokies. I want to bring up Jameer Gibbs. He averaged 10 yards per carry. Uh, A lot of that did come on that big, long run. He had 61 yards. One thing I noticed, though, the defense did play a lot better, but they struggled to bring him down. It seemed like he was bouncing off the tackles a lot. So looking at the preliminary PFF grades, the, the Virginia Tech was solid across the board, except the tackling was they were given a grade of a 40 on the yep. tackling. Mm-hmm. And that gets back into what I talked earlier about watching the game and the, the, the Virginia Tech defense's statistics were good. But it didn't feel that good, and part of that was the tackling. You know, the tackling was pretty poor, and, and that, and and so I put in my article today. Um, if, if you think that Virginia Tech's tackling has been terrible, that that's not exactly accurate. They've been in the '60s and '70s for every game this year, except Pitt. It was a 50 in tackling, and again, think of this in terms of pass fail grades in, in academics. Anything above a 60. You passed, you did okay, and the higher you get, you know, the more impressive it is. Anything below a 60, you failed. So they had a 50 as a team. They had a grade of 50 against uh, um, Pittsburgh. And in this game, the, the preliminary grade is a 40-point-something. So other than that, the team graded out pretty well across the board. Yeah, and I was I, I just showed Jake while, while you were talking. Malachi Thomas, 79.0 pass-blocking grade on nine pass-blocking plays. So on that's, nine plays, that's pretty th- that's, good. That's pretty good for a true freshman running back. Yeah. But, yeah, to your point about the defense, I thought the linebackers, especially Tisdale, they came to play. I think that was that was a little bit. I think of the issue against Syracuse is kind of like they were out of position a little bit. And you know, when you're playing a running quarterback and Sean Tucker, it, it, you know, it you're in trouble when you're out of position and not in the right spot. But um, but yeah, I thought you know they tackled. They've tackled pretty well for most of the season so far. I, I don't think the numbers do it justice. Yeah, um, and they've part of it is that. The guys that they've had struggle tackling the football at times um, have have wound up. Uh, well, just let me give you an example. I, I think, and sorry, I don't have it pulled up, but I think that the safeties didn't tackle well in this game. Yes. And when both safeties aren't tackling well, that's a problem because they're the two guys in the middle. And if they get past the linebackers, you're in big trouble. You know, so so it's this thing that that can work look worse than it is. Um, so Tisdale, I think we touched on him earlier. Uh, his PFF grades had been pretty bad in the last two or three games in the 50s and then that sort of thing. And the preliminary grade is an 85, wow. you know. So he – where did this come from? Yeah. And so not only did he lead the team in tackles, but his preliminary PFF grade is good and the uh, coaching staff gave him the defensive player of the week. Yeah. So, so some of it is uh, statistical, some of it is subjective, and some of it is objective. But – but pretty good week all around, and I and yeah. I I think one of the other things defensively I mentioned it earlier. Virginia Tech got pressure. Yeah. When you can get pressure, and we like we said earlier, when you can get in the backfield, it completely changes the game. Yeah. And Sims, there were a number of third downs where Sims was under pressure, and he's just not good in that situation. He can run, but he can't complete.
to pass. When we talked about Jordan Williams in the middle of that defense and Amari Barno, both kind of being a little invisible towards the beginning, beginning to part, middle yeah. part of the season, yeah. they both looked good on uh, on Saturday. Barno had a sack, and I think Williams showed up uh, with a, at least one tackle for loss, if not a, a couple of them. Yeah, I think Jordan Williams only had three total tackles, but I think one of them was a tackle for loss. But yeah. but when when you have your better defensive Lyman, and this is not you know me saying the other guys aren't good because when Taiwan Garbett plays well, you know that really helps too. But but when your big names players, I guess Jordan Williams, Amari Barno, when they can get in the backfield and and create havoc, it, it really helps you a lot. Yeah. Well, and we one thing I did want to bring up, I wrote this down specifically. We kind of talked about the fourth down issue, but it kind of flipped and you can see the result. The Hokies were able to pull out a close win instead of losing in a close one. They held Georgia tech one for three on fourth down after entering the game. 12 of 15, I believe was the Overall, stat. Yeah. Uh, and then the Hokies struggled on fourth down. I want to say they were two for eight, two for 10. And when I believe you tweeted I, that, did they pick one up last week? And no, you were two for eight coming in, You're two right. for eight yeah, coming in. And they were one for one, one on for Saturday. one. And that was the touchdown to Tavion Robinson. Right. So, if that trend can flip back and maybe the law of averages kind of works out for the Hokies, maybe can kind of see it going the other way. So that particular play, I've been critical of that sort of play where it was it was uh, down near the goal line, and it's what I've called a soft play. It's not up the middle. But, you know, it's it's a good call. I think, I think Burmeister turns left and fakes the handoff and then kind of bootlegs around, and you wind up with Burmeister, who's very athletic, isolated against the linebacker. I, I think it may have been... Avi, who's also athletic, yep. but then you've got Tavion Robinson running around in the end zone, and there's not much the defense can do against that. When the defense is not parked on a play like that, it's extremely effective. It's just, you know, West Virginia, for example, uh, encountered something similar, was parked on it. So I'm not sure why Georgia Tech wasn't more prepared for that. Well, a big win for the Hokies against Georgia Tech on Saturday. Now it kind of sets up. They've got an opportunity to make some plays, and I wanted to bring this up. Pitt lost on Saturday, so we kind of had ruled out the opportunity for anybody except for Pitt <laughs> competing for the Coastal. Now the window is back cracked open a little bit. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe Nick can pull up the, the ACC standings right now. Yeah, I'm going to pull them up I, here. Okay, I, I know Virginia Tech, um, you know, Tech is, what, 2-2 two and two now. Two and, um, two. And, and I know Pitt only has one loss, so obviously you're one loss behind, but... Um, but man, watching that game afterwards, like keeping up with it, um, this is why I don't bet anymore because I had my, I had pit to cover. But um, <laughs> but I mean the fact that the coastal division's wide open now, I mean that's crazy. And, and again, Wake Forest in the Atlantic Division looked really, really, really good again on Saturday. It, it looks like Wake's going to run away with the, with the Atlantic at this point. Yeah. So Pitt has uh, they're at Duke. They'll win that. Um. They host UNC. That's a big one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they host UVA. Oh, and then another, their another final big game. One. They travel up to the Carrier Dome. They travel dome. to Syracuse. And that and something about the that's, vacuum. That's, it's not Halloween, but it's spooky. Well, don't sleep on that. Syracuse has the number one defense in the ACC. And they've got In the terms dome. of yards per game, they're yeah. number two in terms of scoring defense. So the 437 yards that Virginia Tech had against Syracuse is the most Syracuse has given up all year. They're a good defense. 
and Sean Tucker just had 200 plus yards again uh, on Saturday against uh, Boston College. So why isn't he in the Heisman consideration? I don't even know. Well, because, because that's not how it works. Yeah. So so the current ACC ACC Coastal standings. I'll read it off. Pitt is three and one. Virginia is four and two. Uh, North Carolina is three and three. Miami and Virginia Tech are each two and two. Georgia Tech is two and four, and the Duke's zero and four. So there's. I mean, I'm not. I don't think you know Virginia Tech would have to probably win out to win the Coastal yes. because Miami and Virginia are ahead of them. But they did already beat North Carolina, right? And Pitt still has to play Virginia and North Carolina, and they lost to Miami. Yeah. Well, well, the key there is Pitt would have to lose at least two of those two of last. Yeah. Yeah. Two of those last three. Remember yeah. that UNC Wake game is not an ACC game. Yeah, that is important. They play this weekend, and it's an out of conference game. So let's look at Miami's schedule. Uh, really good two weeks. They beat a ranked NC State team and a ranked Pittsburgh team. They host Georgia Tech this coming weekend. Yep, this coming weekend. Anything can happen. You you know how Miami is. And although I don't have the entire Miami-Georgia Tech history stored in my head, there's been more than one occasion where Georgia Tech has has spoiled a party for for Miami. Um, Then they're at Florida State. Eh. then they then Miami hosts Virginia Tech. If if Pitt quasi tanks, you know the 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 coastal could come down to Miami. And then and, they uh, play Duke Tech. last game of the season. And right? then they play Duke last game yeah, of the season. You know what was interesting is I saw a quote and I told Chris about this earlier in the office. Pat Narduzzi was like, I guess he was asked about Miami and he was like, oh yeah, I think my I think Miami is going to win out. I think they're going to win the coast or like. Well, he didn't say they were going to win the Coastal. He was like, I think Miami's so going to win, win the next, their next four Certainly games. they can. Yeah. yeah. Well, Pitt, again, that is the, the hinge there. If yeah. Pitt gets back on track and wins three out of their last four, then they're going then to win the over. Coastal. Yeah. But if if not, Virginia Tech still no, plays no, Miami, minute, still plays UVA. If Pitt wins three out of the last four, then they'll have two losses. And if Miami wins out, they'll have two losses and they'll get the tire. Yeah, yes. but it'll well, but it also come down to Virginia because Virginia yeah. Virginia also two losses plays and, Pitt. and Virginia plays Pitt and and so there's there's a it it's it's coastal chaos. It which, looked which like we, we were going to get a year off of coastal chaos yeah. for a little bit there. Yeah. Not yeah. so much. Miami throws it back uh, into at least the realm of possibility if yeah. Pitt were to fall a couple more times. Wake well, Forest on the other side, not so much. Well, and I think one of the interesting things is you think about it. Um, I mean, if something happens, like the last two games of the season, the Miami game or the Virginia game, like if Virginia Tech wins the next two weeks, the Miami game and the Virginia game are huge. Yeah. Like you go, And you go on the road for both of those games. That's why it's so important to win this week against Boston College and then at home against a pretty bad Duke team with an extra day to prepare as yeah, well. Yeah, and when you go on the road to Miami, not that Miami will be in the driver's seat, but if Pitt is free-falling, there's a potential and then you go on the road to Virginia and if the the Cavaliers are without Brennan Armstrong, anything can happen. Well, it's not out of the realm of possibility that going into that Miami game, Miami, Virginia, Pitt, and Virginia Tech all have two losses. Right. So, which could Chaos. Chaos. Mm-hmm. Well, it gets back to uh, when we were talking about Pittsburgh. I'm sitting here looking at their schedule, you know, and I said, it'll be interesting to see what they do the rest of the year. Are they going to be a 10-win team? Yeah. They have a great quarterback, an experienced team. Or are they going to be the same old Pitt and drop a couple games here and there and keep the Coastal interesting? It's going to be interesting. I thought we were going to – it seemed like before the Miami 
Pitt game this weekend that it was almost a foregone conclusion. Wake yeah. Pitt in in Charlotte now, hmm. but Wake also remained undefeated this week. They 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 destroyed Duke. They <laughs> they demolished. I mean, yeah. Ev- but everybody should destroy Duke. But the fact that they put up like over 70 points against Army, and they only had the ball for 14 minutes. 17 minutes. 17 yep. minutes of the game. I Just impressive. I believe I went through the stats for that one. There were 21 total offensive drives, 18 of which ended in a touchdown, <laughs> including a streak of 11 consecutive touchdown oh drives. Oh, my goodness, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, definitely, I think last week I even wrote down on my outline for the podcast, Coastal is no longer in the conversation well, for Virginia Tech after losing to Syracuse. And somehow we still find ourselves with that glimmer of hope uh, Boston College, Duke, both winnable games. And then, again, those Miami and Virginia on the road could be the hinge of the season. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. And I think Miami, Miami's playing a lot better lately, like Will said. What's what's our quarterback's name? Uh, Van Dyke, right? Yes. Yeah. Van, Tyler Van Dyke. Tyler Van Dyke, I yeah. believe. And we were, we were were you guys were talking about it last week, I believe, yeah. that um, – that Van Dyke looked really poor in his first game or two, and then he's really bounced back, and he's looked really good. And I, I, I mean, I can't help but think like, you know, Miami's got to feel really confident, especially knocking off a ranked NC State team, and then knocking off a, a ranked, a, a pit, ranked team. pit team, and they've got a not the toughest schedule the rest of the way. I mean, I think Virginia Tech is the most difficult team on their schedule, and they get them at home, so. It's uh, there. There's a lot, a, a lot that's going to go into the last few weeks of the ACC season. But I think a lot of it, a lot of how Virginia Tech's season shapes out, it depends on how the Hokies respond to. You know, we've seen how Virginia Tech's responded to losses. Now, Virginia Tech lost last week. They go on the road. They get a win. How's Virginia Tech going to respond to a win? First win in multiple weeks. First road win of the season. You have to go on the road in a short week. How do you perform? Because if Virginia Tech can't be Boston College, you know, it doesn't really matter they don't what happens the rest of the season. Coastal. Well, yeah. and this is the first win that I guess you could say wasn't expected since North Carolina. I mean, you expect to beat Middle Tennessee. You expect to beat Richmond. This was maybe the first one where you don't go into it thinking, okay, we should beat this team by a few touchdowns. Yeah. I think everybody, we all picked Virginia Tech. Our, you know, the two of us and Chris. And it's good that you bring that up because I wanted to say that earlier. That was just based on a feeling that things couldn't, feeling. couldn't keep going wrong yes. for Virginia Tech. And sure enough, they didn't. Well, they now, didn't keep going wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, I had a I had a gut feeling. I know you, you put in your story that you – in your picks that you had a gut feel. I think Chris was just like Georgia Tech's not very good. Yeah, but, he was more analytical. But, but, you know, how do they respond – how do the Hokies respond now going on the road to a Boston College, a place that might have like – 4,000 people in the stadium for the game. I, I'll, one of the things I'll do this week is look at their attendance. I, I did see them. They were I don't remember who they were playing earlier this year, but I was surprised how many fans they had there because they it typically. Was, the Missouri game was a packed house. That really? Was a, that was a sellout game. And that was a wild overtime game. And then uh, when they hosted NC State for that night game, the place was rocking until, now they're placing until the- NC State. Now the place only them. holds, I think, forty four thousand five hundred people or something like that. But still, they haven't even been filling that up in recent years. And it's probably going to be pretty cold. I mean, I haven't looked at the weather, but Friday night in Chestnut Hill in November, yeah, Boston in November, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right like now. it's going to be balmy. Uh, so 
probably going to scare off some of the fans as well. Yeah. We should probably table this for Wednesday. We probably <laughs> should. We've got the preview podcast coming up on Wednesday. I want to check in with YouTube. Let's see. Nick, do we have any good questions in the chat today? Well, now that you uh, mentioned the hopes of winning the Coastal again, things get real interesting around Mr. Fuente. So just hypothetically, Virginia Tech wins out, Pitt loses two more, and there's that ACC title game. Even if he loses to Wake, again, that's all hypothetical. What happens to Mr. Fuente and the coaching staff if that happens? Hmm. Uh, this would be so Virginia Tech wins the Coastal Division. Or just win out in Virginia Tech, Pitt, Or just go they, seven and five or eight it, and four. Yeah, just even if Pitt, you know, wins three of the last four, they go to the championship game, it's, then Tech. I think it's just it's tough, such a tough position. Yeah. Because like you wrote in your story today, your Monday thoughts, you at the end of the season, Whip Babcock has to make the decision whether he wants to extend or fire. Because you don't want to have a coach with less than three years on a contract in terms of recruiting. He has three years remaining on his contract. And we talked about this in a previous podcast. You are right. He either has to fire or extend it. And and everybody wants to get rid of Cornelson and other parts of the offensive staff. But if you do that and you stick with Fuente, you have to extend Extend him. him. And that'll – I mean, you could could get him to bring in a new offensive coordinator, but – then you're extending him, and I think this goes back to, to some of the, the things I've talked with Chris about, and I think we talked about last week. Just there are like there are systematic issues in the program. One is player development, right. and does if you bring in a new offensive staff, how much does that change? Does that really change anything at all? I, I don't. I, I think a lot of it to answer the question, Nick. I think a lot of it will depend on how the results are down the stretch, like how big the margins are. Because if you go and blow out a couple teams on the road, and you you show that you can score points in the offense has a has a complete one eighty, you know, I'm not saying they will, but then it, the conversation is different. If Virginia Tech wins by nine points for the next three, four games, I don't know if it's convincing enough to 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 keep. You guys know where I'm going with that. Well, yeah. just hypothetically in the situation Nick laid out, you went out, you beat Virginia on the road to clinch the Coastal Division. It gets a little bit hard to fire a coach after that, you would assume. But has the bridge kind of already been burnt? Fire Fuente chance yeah. in the crowd against Syracuse. It, that's, and, and there's an element a very of the fan choice. base that is not going to change its mind no matter what happens. Yeah. Yes. Um, and does it fix the issues of development, strength and conditioning, um, player retention? Retention yeah. is not another thing we're talking about. So, it, it, and it's I don't have a crystal ball. I can't answer all those. I just, I just and you and you don't. What you don't know is you don't know where Fuente and what Babcock themselves are yeah. mentally. They may have already had a discussion where they're just like you know coaches. Coaches get tired of certain situations. Um, the the man stood in Lane Stadium and heard the Fire Fuente chants, and not just him, but his family too. Right, you know, and and sometimes things go sour, like like that, like like your girlfriend. It just goes south, yeah. and you can still have a few good dates, but you just know it's over. Yeah, and that may be where those guys are. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it will come down to just how Fuente's feeling. Does, does Fuente want to stay in Blacksburg? Does Fuente do, do him and his family? Do they? Is this a place they want to be and 
whether or not, you know, I mean, and their their relationship with Whit Babcock and how Whit Babcock feels, you know, because it could come down, you know, if Virginia Tech does win out, but what if Justin Flint doesn't want to be here anymore? Well, could that be the situation where Virginia Tech goes one and three of their last four, Fuente's fired, they go three and one, maybe he says, you know what, I'm done with Blacksburg, I'm going to go get another job yeah. at TCU, for example. Well, the other thing is if he does well enough, you know, he may get hired away. That, yeah. Is that very likely? I, uh, I don't know. So it gets back to Andy Staples wrote an article in The Athletic that ran, I think, last Thursday, where he he's a national writer and he laid out a pretty good understanding of the Virginia Tech situation, how the program was has been underfunded in terms of uh, assistant coaching salary pools, $3.6 million versus something like $5.5 million at UNC. The facilities have started to lag behind. So if, if a writer knows this stuff, and I'm sure he talked to Andy Bitter, you know, for to get material, and Andy knows this stuff. If a writer knows this stuff, then the industry knows it. And if there is, you go, you go back to the Baylor situation. Baylor wanted to hire him, I think. It was never officially made an offer, but I think Baylor wanted to hire him a couple years ago. The industry knows when there's a coach who, if he gets into a different situation and is supported in a different way, could be a better coach. I think if Fuente winds up leaving here after this year, I do think one day he'll be a head coach, and I do think he'll be a better coach at his next stop. Um, I would be surprised if he was never a head coach again and if he was a head coach and did worse. I don't think that's going to happen. So even though it's not super likely that he does well and gets hired away, it could happen. Yeah, I think he'll find him. I mean, he like you said, he will one hundred percent find himself in in a, the head chair again someday. And I I had this conversation the other day with one of my friends, and I think I said one of the I think one of the toughest parts and one of the places where I think Fuente went wrong, and I think he will learn his lesson in the future is. Hiring the right people to fill in the holes. Yeah. We've talked so much about how Fuentes worked with the offense so much over the past couple of weeks. Why wasn't that happening before? And if so, why were the people that he was employing? Why isn't he employing better people to do that so he doesn't have to spend as much time on that? You know, and I think it goes back to, you know, just just hiring the right people. And I think being the head coach of Virginia Tech for six years or however long he's here will make him a better person and a better coach at the end of the day because he will have learned so many lessons from being here. This was a guy who had never been a head coach at the Power 5 level before. He was a head coach at Memphis. That's a group of five school. And nothing against Memphis, but it's completely different trying to recruit to Virginia Tech and completely different with the facilities and the culture here at Virginia Tech. And, you know, whatever happens at the end, I, I think he will have learned a lot of things come the end of the season over his six years that will change his perspective on how he's a coach going forward. Good answer to our first YouTube question. Uh, do we have anything else in the chat, Nate? Yeah, I just wanted to touch on just some, you know, in-game nitpicks here, uh, here and there. Uh, what can the defense do to reduce big plays? They got a lot better penetration. Uh, like you said, not many uh, there in backfield left and right this game. Uh, but what can they do more to limit those big plays? Because even though I was listening to the game on the radio, I was coming back from deer hunting on opening weekend, and uh, it felt like every big play, Laser was like, well, they got in the backfield, but Gibbs down right up the gut goes for 20 yards. So what, what can they do to limit those big plays? I feel like a lot of that goes 
I don't want to blame players because I hate doing that, but I feel like a lot of that falls on the shoulders of linebackers a little bit. Yep. The linebackers just aren't in the right positions. You know, Dax Hollyfield, Alan Tisdale, they're just out of position. I mean, I think Jameer Gibbs had that 61-yard run and – now, I don't remember that play. What happened on that play? He kind of just he, burst up I the I think middle. he broke a tackle like two yards past the line of scrimmage and then just sprinted. Which is either a linebacker or a safety. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think it I think it falls on the on the back end. Because I think Virginia Tech is solid defensively up front. The front four and the guys you know, the the four defensive tackles that they rotate through, I think those guys are solid and the corners are pretty good. But if the safeties and the linebackers have bad games, that's the entire the middle of the field that you're giving up. Yeah. And um, I don't know that this is unique to Virginia Tech, and I don't want to pick on him, but if you look at the fourth down touchdown pass, that's against Chamari Connor. Yeah. You know, we've talked before about Nichols so such a difficult position to play because you got to be able to defend the run and tackle well, and you have to cover often slot receivers. And his coverage really wasn't that bad. Um, that's another thing I can think of that I don't know that many teams can solve that problem very well. But my biggest answer to the question would be tackle better. Gap integrity, and, and when you get a hold of the guy tackling, uh, that, that, that had to have been their biggest problem in this game. Yeah, Against Syracuse, I oh, think man. it was the linebackers. Like, Tisdale and Dax were almost never in the right spot, Nowhere and then they missed found. the tackle if they were. And the safeties were stepping up. Tay Daly had a great game against Syracuse, but then it almost felt like the opposite against Georgia Tech. Yeah. Tisdale and Dax played decent, but then the safeties just couldn't come and clean up behind them. Yeah, I think the big I think to answer the question, the biggest thing is to get the guys in the middle of the park to play well because Virginia Tech's cornerbacks have been pretty good for the most part. And I believe Jermaine Waller played almost the entire game on Saturday. He did not play against Syracuse and you know you talk about big plays, Dorian Strong, like that that that's not going to happen every time. As Dorian Strong grows bigger, stronger, he's you know, as he matures, he's going to be able to defend that play better. But I think a lot of the big plays have come on the ground. You know, you see Sean Tucker tear up Virginia Tech. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the, those guys in the middle of the park, the linebackers, the safeties, and like you said, some games linebackers play well. Some games the safeties play well. Just but they're like not they on the play same, well at the same time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's kind of like it's kind of like the offense with the running and the passing game. You know, this was the first game where Virginia Tech actually moved the ball both ways, and it wasn't relying on one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then the last question: uh, Why are the freshman wide receivers not touching the field as much? That is, I don't know that one. Yeah, that is interesting. And it actually, somebody asked Fuente about Trey Turner today, um, and specifically targeting him, and is basically kind of along the lines of is is that what you guys planned on as an offense to target him that much? And his answer was pretty much like, "There's only like three guys. We're throwing it to three guys. He, we're throwing it to three guys. We're throwing it to Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, and Caleb Smith. You know, it would be four if James Mitchell was in there, yeah. because James Mitchell would get a ton of targets. But he was like, we 'We're only throwing it to three guys.' And I don't know if it's not wide receiver development. I know Payu has played a little bit, and Lofton's played a little bit, but Jones has been hurt, I believe. Yeah, so I don't. Jones, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, they were all." Hyped up prospects. I mean, Fuente, sat, Fuente likes them. Fuente sat here and hyped up Lofton and Jones at the beginning of the season. Like you said, Jones has been hurt, but I don't. I don't know. Maybe just not comfortable. Maybe maybe 
it kind of is along the same lines of Malachi Thomas and, and blocking per se. But the, the blanket answer is always because the coaches don't trust them. Yeah. You know, we don't know why. Yeah. Um, don't have any inside information on that. Yeah. I wrote an article last year covering football, and I believe I wrote that the only three players with a catch last year at probably five or six games into the season were Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, Caleb Smith. Yeah. Or it may have been over five catches or something like that. And I thought this year would be the one, the year that kind of changes that, and it's still just those three, Trey Turner, Tavion yeah, Robinson, I, Caleb Smith. What's interesting is at the beginning of the season, I think we had a lot of wide receiver depth. Or we thought Virginia Tech did. Yeah. We went down to Charlotte for ACC Media Day, and they were talking about Jalen Jones, Dwayne Lofton, Jaden Payutes finally back from injury. Yeah. And it's really those three guys. And I mean, credit to them. Like, Trey Turner had a fantastic game. ACC receiver of the week. Caleb Smith is blocking like crazy. And even Tavion Robinson had a solid performance. Um, they're all really good receivers. I, I, I like, it goes back to coaches' trust. If, they, if, the, if the coaches don't trust the receivers, yeah. There's, you know, I, I've not really sure why, but all I know is that they're rarely getting on the field. And we've talked to Chris about that a lot with the development of wide receivers. I'm sure he'd have uh, some thoughts on this yeah, as well. He'd point to the coaching. <laughs> to be blunt about it, he'd point to the coaching. Well, we appreciate everyone for dropping a comment and question in the chat. Thank you, Nick, for going through those for us. I think that's going to about wrap it up on episode 204. I usually ask Chris, but David, what we got coming up on TechSideline.com? I am finishing up my article after the podcast on um, I will have kind of just thoughts from today's press conference. Tomorrow, I think I'm going to focus more on Fuente today. Tomorrow, it'll be more about what the players said and a little bit of Boston College stuff. Wednesday, we've got part three of our men's basketball preview. Parts one and two went up last week, um, Virginia Tech men's basketball season preview. Um, I previewed on Thursday teams A through M in the ACC, so Boston College through Miami, and then Friday, uh, North Carolina through Wake Forest and through and through Z. Um, kind of just going through bullet points, kind of just, okay, here – here the last what's happened in, in the series history, all that good stuff. So Wednesday we're gonna do a position. I'm gonna do a position by position preview, and Thursday Chris is gonna have his column. Besides that, just a regular week uh, preview on Wednesday. Yeah, the fact that the game is Friday night will not change our our preview material and when we run it. Yeah, we will still have our Wednesday preview podcast as well. Um, I believe tonight is the final football only. Tech Talk Live. Wow. Uh, yeah, so, basketball next week. Yeah, eight days away from basketball season. So I'm sure we'll, we'll figure out when we're going to talk basketball on the podcast in the next couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, we really need to do that. I think, <laughs> well, the game, the first game of the season is Tuesday. So maybe Monday we can do a, a split Boston College recap and, and basketball preview. I think yeah. that's a good idea. And exactly. it's a men's and women's doubleheader, too. It is. It's a. Uh, Davidson and, at five and Maine at eight. eight for yeah, men, and so. um, I guess one other thing: women's basketball has open practice this Friday um, in the afternoon. And I was talking to um, some people in the athletic department. And, you know, we're going to get to talk to a lot of um, players and coaches. So, um, so a lot of women's basketball content coming too. Chris Hirons will have a, a, a season preview probably sometime this week. So, about yeah, to get yeah, very we, busy. And and we've been requested to cover women's basketball closer. Uh, wanted to. Yeah, we will. <laughs> you know, I, I guess, you know, we just we kind of wanted to see if if Kenny was going to get things fully turned around and get him to the NCAAs again. And and it's it's been uh, how, how many years has he been the head coach? This is entering his sixth season. Yeah, so. it's, it's taken six seasons, but he's got him headed in a good direction. Yeah, I mean, they are 
top 25 team. They're ranked in, in and, preseason and a lot AP of it's poll. not just how are they doing. It's us getting to a point as an organization. Being able to do it. We got a new managing editor that we didn't have. So <laughs> it was just me and Chris. And it's like, we got enough to do. I, I don't want to start editing women's basketball articles, you yeah. know. So we're, we're at a point to, uh, as an organization where we can cover. Yeah. yeah. And Definitely. so Chris Hirons will be covering full, not full time, but Chris will be at pretty much every single game. And I'll be at some of them. But I'm excited. Basketball season, yeah. crossover season's always a little interesting, especially for not this, not just the podcast, but writing wise. But yeah. I'm I'm excited. Basketball season's gonna be really fun. Yeah. Yep. Football coming down the stretch. Men's basketball, women's basketball, both starting in eight days. And wrestling and wrestling coming up. Jack Brizendine gonna cover that, I believe. Yeah. For Tech Sideline. Yep. We gotta figure that out. He'll have a season preview sometime. Sometimes next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. I, I need to talk to him. But it's lot of stuff happening. So a ton of good stuff coming up on TechSideline.com over the next couple of months. And we haven't plugged this in a while. Free for students right now. Yes, correct. Uh, um, subscriptions are free for students. And, of course, as we said, the monthly uh, is free for the first month. And we're, we're getting some bites on that. We're bringing some new people on board. Uh, so it, it's been good. And I'm waiting for my graphics guy over there to create some ads <laughs> that, we can, that we can run on social media. Uh, but uh, So we'll start pushing that harder here soon. Well, with crossover season coming up, never been a better time to join the Tech Sideline family. If you are not subscribed, now's the perfect time to do it. Football, basketball, wrestling, anything you could possibly everything. want. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap it up here on episode 204 of the Tech Sideline podcast. want to thank everybody for tuning in. Everybody on set, Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com, at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. David Cunningham sitting in Chris Coleman's chair today, filled in admirably. Uh, you can find him at the Real TheRealDCunna on Twitter, managing editor for Tech Sideline. In the fourth chair, Nick Brown. It's Nick thirty three no, Brown no, on Nick Twitter. Brown 33. Nick Brown thirty three. Katie's the one with the the number in the middle. Katie six. Katie six Adams. Adams. She's not on set today, but if you want to follow her, <laughs> great follow on Twitter as well. Behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart always does a great job. I'm Jake Lyman, your host, signing off. That'll, that'll do it for episode two hundred four of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Have a great start to your week, Hokies fans. We'll see you on Wednesday.